hold of your Bibles. And uh, as I mentioned to you last week, with the Lord's help, we're going to resume our parenting series this morning. And what I want to do is pick up right where we left off before with Ephesians 6 and verse 4. So if you guys could turn there. Let's all find Ephesians 6, 4. We're going to read it together. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now we've been dealing with this text. I'm going to just shoot backwards a little bit. Go back to the to the very first word, fathers. The verse starts out, fathers. Fathers. The Lord wants your attention here. It's clear. You guys, it is clear that there is a biblical emphasis on fathers. I want to emphasize this. Fathers. God wants your attention when it comes to the family. And I gave you some of the data, and I've showed you, I've opened up various scriptures where the father is emphasized in the rearing of the, of the children. God wants the men's ears in this place. And as I mentioned to you, sociologists and psychologists and pastors and police departments have observed, I mean it's observable, that where you have fathers who are lovingly and actively giving themselves to the upbringing and the rearing of their children, it makes a huge difference in the life of that child. A huge difference when it comes to delinquency rates, when it comes to teenage pregnancy, when it comes to felonies. Folks, there is a clear and an obvious difference here. And as I mentioned to you all, folks... When John the Baptist came on the scene, one of the things that he would do as he brought revival to Israel was he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And that is crucial because you find out that where you have the most depraved societies on the face of this earth, where you have cultures that are godless, what you find is you have cultures where the men are not involved in the upbringing of the children. All you have to do is ask yourself, are we as a nation becoming more holy, more righteous, more moral? We're not. There is a decline in this country. And let me ask you this, as that decline comes upon us, are fathers becoming more and more involved with their children or less and less involved with their children? Fathers. Satan does not want you involved in the lives of your children because too much good comes from it. And those things that come into your life that take you away from involvement with your children, hear me on this, that may be far more of the devil than it is of God. So, fathers. The next thing is, don't provoke. We have the warning not to provoke our children. We don't want to discourage. We don't want to provoke. We don't want to embitter our children. And you know, folks, this week as I was pondering this again, I thought, you know, I, you know what I believe the heart of this matter is? It's this. Parents, don't by your own sin cause your children to sin. Isn't that really the heart of the matter? Don't provoke your children. Because by provoking them, you push them into sin. And it's possible that parents and grandparents can, by their own failures and faults, push their children into sin. And that's what you don't want to do. The third thing that we looked at here is bring them up. Parents, you 
must bring them if they're going to come. You must bring them up if they're going to rise. You have that responsibility. And you know something? If you are going to bring them up, it takes time. It takes lots of time. And it takes lots of your time. You know, we have this thing today. How many of you guys have ever heard this nice little quaint expression parents like to use now about quality time? You know what that is? Folks, that is a lame excuse for parents who have more important things in their life than their children. That's what it is. Because God, in His Scripture, tells us that when it comes to His commandments and His ways, folks, when you rise up in the morning, when you lay down at night, I mean, folks, when you're in the way, you are to be instructing your children. And this can't be done in just a little slot of quality time in your life. God is looking for you to give a quantity of time to investing into your children. That's true. So bring them up. And you must do it. And it takes time. The the next thing is, we had the discipline first. Now, depending on the translation you have, it's the discipline of the Lord, or it might be the training of the Lord, or it might be the nurture of the Lord, if you have the old King James or the new King James. Nurture, training, discipline. They're all, all the same idea. It's all the same word. And the way God tells us to bring them up, the first thing He gives us is discipline. You guys are presently working through the disciplines of the Christian life, right? You're getting an idea from that. The term discipline does not simply have to do with spanking. Now, it's involved in that, no doubt about it. But the disciplines of the Christian life have to do with what, brother? Yeah, it's, it's many-faceted. Multi, I mean, you, you have a manifold look at the Christian life when you talk about the disciplines. And it's the same thing. It's the idea that you take your children and you mold them and you shape them and you perfect them by instruction and by correction and by pouring yourself into them, by directing them, by throwing cautions at them. By Yes, there's going to be discipline. Yes, that's part of it. And you guys remember, remember this, remember, for something to be discipline or training or nurturing that is of the Lord, not just something of our own makeup, of our worldly influence, something that is truly of the Lord, what must be always and forever the objective of that discipline? What is it that God always disciplines towards and trains towards? And instructs towards. Folks, you find it's always holiness. It's always righteousness. When you instruct and train and teach your children as you discipline them, it is with always the ever-present goal of Christ-likeness in mind. In all that you do with your children. In all that you say to your children. We are ever and always pointing them to Christ. Always. And you know, you don't point, you don't point out Christ likeness as the standard that they can achieve to, to appease God. You guys understand that. We point them to Christ as the standard. Show them they fall short of the standard. God is not pleased with them. In fact, His wrath falls on falling short of that standard. But nevertheless, He is the one we look to for salvation from breaking that standard. He is the one we look to for strength to, to walk in that way and to go after that. But always, folks, we set a pattern of righteousness before our children. Always. And then we tell them, without Christ, you can't do anything. That's the way you must walk. But you need Him to walk that way. And this, this now brings us to the last thing that I want to deal with very specifically from the text, which, of course is the instruction of the Lord. Now, you guys, you have your Bibles open right there, right? Look at the text. Paul gives us two ways in which he wants us to bring up our children. Two ways. He first tells us to do it with discipline. And then second, he tells us to do it with Instruction. Now consider this. You guys, 
just as I just talked about with discipline in the, in the Christian life. You guys, discipline. You know what happens if you go to a Bible dictionary and you look up the first term, dic, uh, the, the first term there that has to do with nurturing, that has to do with discipline, that has to do with training. If you look it up in a Bible dictionary, do you know one of the words it can possibly be translated as? Instruction. In fact, that word for discipline is translated sometimes instruction. In fact, if you've got the KJV or the, the New King James Version and you go to 2 Timothy 3... 16, I believe, it is translated there, instruction in righteousness, right? All, all Scripture is, is God-breathed or inspired and it's profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness. It's the exact same word, folks. And so, you know, as you look at that, you almost have to ponder, well, what's up, Paul? Why do you use a word that says instruction and then turn right around and give us another word that says instruction? Isn't it almost redundant? I mean, couldn't have Paul gotten by just simply with the first word? Well, folks, it is not redundant. And let me tell you why it's not. Because it is a very special type of instruction. It is a typical form of instruction. Guys, guess what? Sometimes it comes across admonition. But you know what? Like, like the King James, bring them up at the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But we don't use the term too much. Even our ESV, it uses the term admonish and admonition. But you know, I have a feeling that if I were to ask somebody to, you know, grab a piece of paper right now and give me a good, solid definition of admonish, it'd be difficult. And one reason is we don't use it in regular language. Well, maybe some people do, but I don't think generally we do. It's not a term that we're comfortable with. It's not a term that we're familiar with. And so a lot of times, you know, these terms are thrown at us. Discipline and instruction or nurture and admonition. And, you know, we kind of look at it and what, what, is, what is the real focal point here? Well, let me tell you this. This term, this specific term for instruction is only used three times in the New Testament. It's used once right here in Ephesians 6, and then it's used two other times. What I want us to do before we really dive into to looking at what it is and, and how it applies to our, our parenting, I want us to get an idea just simply first of the definition. I mean, what is this type of instruction? And both times it's used are very informative. So, please... Turn to 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11. I want to read that text for you. Because we're going to find out about this word before we dive into it. One thing I know is we've got to understand what the Lord requires of us before we're ever going to do what the Lord requires of us. And if you don't have a good grasp about what this word means, then uh, we're going to be handicapped as parents when we seek to parent our children. 1 Corinthians 10.11 Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Right there it is. Instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come. Well, just in that verse is a little vague, a little nebulous. You might look at it and say, well, I'm not, I'm not sure that helps me a whole lot. But, guys, let's pick up a bit of context here. Because when you do that, it's going to become a little bit more plain to us about the idea here. Verse 1. Paul is saying, I want you to know, brothers, he's speaking to Christians here, that our fathers... Now, when he says father, by that he means the Israelites who came out of Egypt. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Remember there was a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night? This is the idea when he, when he says that. And all passed through the sea. He's talking about the Red Sea. You know, again, we have this, this picture of the Israelite children. They're being brought out. And all were baptized 
into Moses. Now, guys, don't get hung up on the term baptized there. This is not talking about water baptism. It is a spiritualized reference to this word. It has to do with with their connection with they're baptized into Moses in the cloud, in the sea. They're connected with Moses in all of this. They're associated with him. And watch this. And all ate the same spiritual food. They said they ate the same spiritual food that Moses ate. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. You realize what that's saying? The God that was out there with, the, with these folks in the wilderness was Christ. He was out there. Nevertheless, what he, says, what he means by that is even though they had all this spiritual blessing, even though they saw the plagues, the sea was parted, manna came from glory, they had all these privileges, all these advantages. Nevertheless, With most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. And we could read somewhere else where it says it's because of their unbelief. They did not believe. And they perished, folks. Now watch this. Now these things took place as examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. These things. What things? Well, the fact that they had all these spiritual advantages and they fell short, those things are examples for us that we might not run after evil as they did. Because what he's saying here is, even though, folks, you might come to a church and you might hear the Word of God preached to you and you might have all these advantages and everything in your life, these examples are there to give you caution so that you not go in the same way. Watch how it goes on. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. Well, why not, Paul? Because 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now listen, folks. Here we are back to our text. Now I want you to see how this hooks in here. How does this plug in? Now... These things. What things? Well, the fact that they, they did evil. The fact that they grumbled. The fact that they were guilty of sexual sin. The fact that they put Christ to the test. And the fact that they suffered for doing so. These things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. Now, what I want to ask you guys is, what kind of instruction is it where you have examples given to us of people who chose certain paths and then you're clearly shown the dangerous consequences of following that path? What do we call that? What do we call it when we receive instruction that's meant to put us on guard and make us warning? It is called warning. Whenever we tell someone that they... If they keep doing a certain thing, or ever do a certain thing, there will be certain consequences with doing that very thing. That is a warning. And you know what? The third time that this word shows up in the New Testament is in Titus 3.10. Don't turn there, just listen to it. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. And you see what? Do you see what the warning there is? If you continue in your divisive pattern, you are going to be disfellowshipped. And that is the warning. If you continue on this path, the consequences of following in that path are going to be harmful to you. And so stop doing what you're doing. It's a warning. It is a warning. Guys, what God wants you to do as parents is on... The positive side, you train in these disciplines. You train, you instruct, you inform, you educate, you discipline, you guide them towards Christ-likeness. On the other hand, 
on the negative side, you warn them from deviating away from Christ-likeness. You warn them of deviating into unrighteousness. You warn them of sin. And so just as much as you need to instruct and train and show your children the right way, you all the time need to be... You say, well, that's, that sounds so negative. You're right. It is. But God wants you just as much to bring them up in the discipline, the training, as He does in the warning. We must warn our children and warn them and warn them and warn them and warn them. Warn those little ones, parents. That brings me now to warnings. I mean, we need to ask ourselves, okay, you tell us to warn our children, what should we be warning our children about? What is it that we need to flash so much caution and danger signs in their eyes with? Well, we're going to look at some of those very specifically. But I want to tell you guys something. God has left us with that which equips us to warn our children. He hasn't just left us out there in the howling wilderness all by our set. Say, warn your children and let us fend for ourselves and we have to figure it all out. Folks, He's given us a book of warning. You know what? This book starts with a warning. You eat the fruit on that tree and you're going to die. That's a warning, folks. And it ends with it. You add words to this book and all the plagues you find in here are going to be added to you. Folks, that's a warning. I mean, you got it right from the beginning, right clear through to the end. But you know what is glorious in this, folks? Not only do we have the whole book before us, we also have one very specific book within this book that is specifically given to provide us with warnings for our sons and for our daughters. Can anybody think of what that is? It's the book of Proverbs. Filled. That doesn't mean that we diminish the other warnings. You've got to warn your children with everything God warns us in. But God has equipped us with one book in general. And you know what I have found about that book? Is when you go there, those things you find most heavily dealt with are the things that we probably ought to give the most attention to when it comes to our children. It is the thing God is saying, this is danger, this is danger, this is danger. These are the warnings that God would have us instructing our children, warning our children. And in a moment, we're going to look at some. We're going to look at some of those within the book of Proverbs that have the most stress. And by most stress, I mean they just show up the most times. You can't go there and read very long before you're coming across verses that deal with these types of things. That doesn't mean this is all you should warn your children about, but it's some of the things that God would have you to most fervently and feverishly warn your children about. But before we get into it, I want to touch too for a second on the nature, the nature of a warning. The nature of warnings. I think I have four things here about warnings before I get into the actual warning itself. The first thing is, A warning is meant to cause us to fear. You understand that? Lay that one away. When we are told to warn our children, it means that you as a parent are being commanded by the Lord to instill Fear into your children. That's important for you to understand. Warnings are meant exactly to do that. They are meant to instill fear. They are meant to alarm us. They are meant to scare us. They are meant to startle us, terrify us. Our purpose in warning somebody is to bring a point home with such force And such clarity that the individual that we are warning will stay away from the very thing we're warning them about. I'll give you an illustration. You know, Paul comes along to us and says in 1 Corinthians that 
Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul's warning is meant to come crashing through men's complacency. It's meant to come in and wake people up, startle them, terrify them, that there is eternal damnation for people who live in those lifestyles. It's meant to scare men. It wouldn't be a warning if it wasn't meant to do that. Folks, just this week, I've been, I've been reading in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was giving warnings all the time. You know, you know, you know one of the problems with warnings is people, guys, a warning is meant to threaten us. It is. But it's meant to threaten us for our own good. Not the way some thug out here on the streets might th- threaten us. It's meant to threaten us for our own good. Because it's meant to scare us away from that which is harmful for us. But you know what? It is absolutely amazing that people do not like to be threatened. And they don't like to be warned. They really don't. Because, you know, here's Jeremiah. I mean, all Jeremiah is is a mouthpiece. He's not even bringing his own message. God says, Jeremiah, you go tell those people in the city of Jerusalem that if they give themselves up to Nebuchadnezzar... See, Nebuchadnezzar had... He he had... um, He was sieging the city. (laughs) Um, And what God was telling the people is, hey, if you will surrender and go out, it will be well with you. And you will go into that land. And you know what? You'll be able to have wives, raise children, have crops. I mean, basically, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be a pretty good guy to you guys if you surrender. But oh, if you don't surrender... And he's saying, I have sent Nebuchadnezzar. I'm doing this to you guys because of your sin. He is my instrument. He is my vessel. He is my tool. And I am doing this. And if you guys harden your heart against my voice here, I'm going to bring upon you death and destruction. I'm going to bring upon you sword and famine and disease. And I'm going to kill you where you stand in that city. And you know what they did? They took Jeremiah and they threw him in a pit. You know why? Because they don't like to be threatened. And that's a fact. People in this world don't much like to be threatened. And you know why they generally don't? Is because they love their sin. And they don't like it when they find themselves... Go around over here. They don't like it when they're Sins are the issue. And that's why they're being threatened. And that's why, folks, many times when you warn people... Because, you know, folks, you think about it. The Gospel. Isn't... Before we give people good news, don't we warn people? I mean, without a warning, there really is no good news here, folks. I mean, that's one of the reasons we stress you don't preach the Gospel until... People are broken. You break people with the law. You break them with a pattern of righteousness they simply cannot measure up to. And there's the warning. If you don't break this, the law, if you break this law, if this law demands your death, that's the warning. Then you bring the good news to them. But that's why a lot of people don't like the sound of the gospel, because it threatens them. Well, that's the first thing that I wanted to say. Warnings are meant to threaten, they are meant to scare, they are meant to terrify but for our good, to protect us. The second thing that I want to say here is, folks, because warnings are meant to threaten and scare, it can be possible, parents, in your very natural instinct to protect your children, you may avoid warning them. Let me give you an example of what I mean here. Lightning is flashing outside and the thunder is cracking in the middle of the night. Your child wakes up and they are terrified. 
And you run into the room. And see, the natural instinct is we don't want our children afraid. We want to protect them from what scares them. We want to protect them from fears. We want to calm them. And you know what? Sometimes in doing that, folks, we don't, we actually quench a suitable opportunity for warning. And, and sometimes we do it without, actually, without being honest with our children. You know, if you run in there to your child in the middle of the night and you try somehow to soothe that child, make them feel like the, the lightning is no danger or no threat to them, you have lied to them. Because, folks, you know what? Lightning is very dangerous. It's very fearful. And it can blow your house apart. And it can knock trees down. And it can strike you and you can die. I mean, if you tell them there's nothing to be afraid of, you're not being honest with that child. You know what you want to do, folks? You want to be honest with your children. You don't want to quench your child's fears by being dishonest with them. You want to quench them by being honest with them. You want to always take your children's fears and use it as an opportunity to guide them to Christ. Always. Because you know what? There's only one who can, who has conquered and combats and destroys all those things that seek to cause us fear that seek to destroy us, that seek to harm us, you point them to Christ. Christ is the Creator. Christ guides these bolts of lightning. You know, the real fearful thing is being in rebellion against the One who makes the lightning. It's not the lightning itself. And you take the opportunity to show them that the place of comfort and the place of calm and the place of quiet and the place of rest is underneath the wings of Christ. You know, the same thing might be true with regards to to the devil. You know, there's a lot of things that scare our kids in the dark and they hear noises. And and a lot of times, we as parents, we want, you know, that protective mode again. There's nothing to worry about. There's nothing after you. There's no monsters. There's nothing. You know what, folks? There is a hideous monster that is after your children. And you're not being honest if you ever tell them there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing after you. There's nothing that seeks to hurt you. There is something that seeks to hurt you. But you know what? Again, you take them right back to Christ. Christ bound that strong man. Christ, with one word, casts him away. He doesn't do anything without asking permission. You take him to Job. He couldn't do a thing to Job unless he asked permission. You see, folks, you take instill fear in your children. They need to have healthy fears. But then you take them to rest those fears at the feet of Christ. Because I'll tell you, there are things to fear out there. Folks, these people who walk around with these churches that say, or these t-shirts that say no fear, boy, they have a lot to fear. The only time you have nothing to fear is when God says, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. When God is your strengthener, when He is your helper, when He's your upholder, then you have nothing to fear. Don't let your children rest comfortable outside of the arms of Christ. Don't let them. Because outside of His arms, they have much to fear. And we lie to them. We're not truthful to them when we tell them that there's no thing to fear out there. And they need to come to realize God is the one to be feared above all other things. Above all other things. Now, third thing that I want to say with regards to the nature of warnings Another truth about warnings is they are heeded by the wise and they are disregarded by fools. That's pretty evident from the Scripture. Here, instruction, Proverbs 8.33 says, and be wise. Proverbs 1.7 says, fools despise instruction. Fools despise warnings. The wise regard them. Let me ask you something. What does it take to be wise? What is it that a wise person has? Wisdom. A wise person has wisdom. Does somebody have a a quick and easy definition of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of understanding. 
Sometimes we don't really know, well, what's fear? Do you... Do what is right. No doubt about it. And then, now, guys, those are definitely parts of what wisdom is. And I'm not going to give you a full definition right here. I'm just going to give you one that, as far as it goes, I don't think it can be argued with, even though it isn't a complete definition. But you guys, you know what? As I have been, I have been reading and rereading this Proverbs for probably half a year now, just intensely studying it. And as I've been formulating, I've been thinking, what is wisdom? I know, I know the fear of the Lord is where it starts. Yes, it has to do with doing right. I, I know, you know, sometimes we can get into this wrestling over how do I distinguish it from knowledge? How do I distinguish it from understanding? Which a lot of times, folks, they're used synonymously. And if you try to divide them too much, you just, it, it ends up being kind of a fruitless journey. But, you know, as I've thought about it, I thought, you know what is at the heart of wisdom? Wisdom is basically that characteristic which a man, a woman, or a child possesses that causes them to choose what is ultimately best for themselves. That is at the heart of the matter. Choosing what is ultimately best for myself. And that doesn't mean always what I think is best. Because you know there's a way that seems right to man. There's a way that can seem best. But, but the, the ends of that are death. The Proverbs themselves tell us. It is choosing, it is striving after what is ultimately for my best. You see, that's why it's wisdom to abstain from many of the things that the world has to offer right now. Even though they might be fun. Even though they might be enjoyable. Even though we could run after these things. We don't do it because we have warnings from God's Word that it will go well with us if we don't do those things. And the wise person looks at the overall picture. He weighs it all out. And that picture, by the way, is made up of what God says to us. Because you know what? The, ultimately, the best way for me is the way that God says is best for me. Not the way any man or the world or any devil says is best for me. Not my own musings. It is what God says is best. You see, to have wisdom takes faith. You understand that? Because God tells us some things that to the natural eye don't seem immediately like they're going to be best for me. So to really have wisdom, you've got to have faith. Because to have wisdom, it starts with the fear of God. You've got to fear that when God warns you that this way is not right for you, but this way is good, you've got to fear God and you've got to believe God and say, you know what? I believe that God says what's true and I fear Him and I fear that if I go in that way, the consequences He says I'm going to suffer, I am going to suffer. And so I'm going to pick this way. And that's wise. You know what? The wise man says... Hey, I'll store up my treasure in heaven. Even though that may mean I don't get certain things here, I realize ultimately for my good, I'm going to be at the greatest advantage and most profit to myself if I store it up in heaven. Because I realize the greatest good for myself is not to enjoy a little bit here for a little while, but to enjoy much there for a long time. And you know what, folks? Ultimately... Ultimately, the greatest joy and the greatest fulfillment and the greatest pleasure and all of that are found in God. That's the way. I mean, everything goes through Him. That is the way of wisdom. And, and I bring that up just for, for this point, folks. When warnings are given and you don't heed them and you have children that don't heed them, they are fools. Fools do not heed what God says in His Word. And... You know what? With your warnings, warn your children about being fools. Warn them. Warn them. Warn them not to be a fool. Not to be a fool. Not to be a fool. The Proverbs warn that over and over and over. When you willingly disobey what God has said, you know God has set before you the best way for your own good and you choose another way. You know what the Scripture says? That person who despises instruction despises themselves. You know why? 
Because if you will not hear God's warnings and hear God's instruction, it means that you're choosing a path that is harmful to yourself. You say, I don't despise myself. I just want to enjoy my sin. I want to enjoy my thing. No, you do despise yourself because you're picking a path that is ultimately going to be to your greatest harm. And believe me, God knows the path of your greatest good. And He knows the path of your greatest harm. And you know what? It isn't just that He knows that if you get involved in some sin, there's going to be harmful consequences to that. It's that God lays down these spiritual and moral rules and God's going to see to it that the consequences He says will be brought out are going to be brought out because He's the one that brings them out. And we have children, 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 children. I was there before. I foolishly thought... Just as the father in Proverbs says to his son, you cannot take these hot coals and pour them in your bosom, throw them in your shirt, and think you're not going to get burned. And yet, you know what young people do every single day? They think. They're fools. They think, I'm going to take those hot coals in my bosom and I'm not going to get burned. God says you will. And you know what? You will because He's going to be the one that burns you. So, warn your children about being fools. The warnings in God's Word, the fourth thing I want to say about the nature of them, they are deadly, deadly serious. They are deadly serious. God promises you that you will suffer harm. Like I was just saying, you may think you'll escape, but you won't. You won't. You know what? As, as have, has been said many a times, we have a church full of first generation Christians. Most of us were saved in the last two decades. And you know what? We were there. Children, we were there. We didn't think we'd get burned. And we've got the scars to show you that we have. And you will. When your parents give you instruction, it is so easy to believe your parents don't know. They're not with the times. They don't understand where I'm at. They don't understand what I'm going through. They don't understand. They don't understand. We've walked that path. We've walked it. God is deadly serious when He gives warnings in His Word. They are meant to terrify you. We need to terrify our children. Seek to terrify them. You know what? Our children today in this world are not afraid of sin. They're not. I wasn't, and you know you weren't either. And we didn't grow up in Christian households. So we didn't have parents warning us. But we were not afraid of sin. You know why the children out there so easily fall into sexual sin? Why they so easily fall into alcoholism? Why they so easily fall into drug use? Because they're not afraid. They're not afraid. They're not. They are exposed to, to schools and to school children. They are exposed to TV. They're exposed to movies that are telling them not to be afraid. Not to be afraid. They're telling them that these things are good. These things are fun. These things are enjoyable. They're not afraid of sin. Our children are not afraid. And you know why they're not afraid, parents? Because you and I, as parents, are not being faithful to Ephesians 6, 4, the second part of how to bring them up. We're not admonishing them. We're not warning them. We are not instilling a threat in their eyes and a fear that is sufficient for them to stay away from the things that we're warning them of. And they get out there and they have not been... They're they're not afraid, folks. And this brings me to dive right in to what it is we're supposed to warn them about. I'll give you one thing, folks, that the Scriptures tell us we need to warn our children about. And it comes out... You go to the book of Proverbs. There are entirely... There are whole chapters given to this. Or almost whole chapters. There is no subject I don't believe that is dealt with more thoroughly in the whole book of Proverbs than sexual immorality. Sexual sin. 
You want to warn your children about something? You want to take something home to your kids that you ought to be warning them about? You ought to be talking to them about? You ought to be instilling a fear in them about? Children today are not fearful of sexual sin. They're not. You've got television shows that say it's normal. It's acceptable. It's fun. In fact, if you're not doing it, you're somehow a misfit. You're not cool. You're not acceptable. You're the geek or the nerd or whatever word they're using today to describe that. You're the one that's out of the picture. You're not with the times. You're not the one that's with the popular people. You're not the one that's beautiful. You're the, you're the kind of outcast. You're not in the whole run of things today. You're not with it. If you're not having sex outside of marriage. If you're not bouncing from one bed partner to another. That's what the world's portraying. It portrays sex on the billboards, on the radios, on the commercials, in sports, on the sitcoms, in the movies. And then we send our children off to public schools where you've got a bunch of children raised up in non-Christian homes that are telling them and putting peer pressure on them that this is the very thing you need to be doing. And if you're not doing it, you're not going to be one of us. And they're putting peer pressure on them and they're pushing them and they're pushing them and they're pushing them. And I want to give you guys a scenario. You take a teenager with raging hormones and you add to that Television programs like I just described. And movies like I just described. And you add a little dose on that of worldly music that sets it forth as an applaudable thing. Premarital sex. Adultery. Fornication. Homosexuality. All sorts of perverseness. And sexual immorality. Songs set it forth all the time. As that which is acceptable. That which is fun. That which is glorious. They put a glory on it, folks. You add that kind of music to it. Add a little bit of uncontrolled and unsupervised internet usage on there. Folks, and you throw them into a situation where they have neighborhood friends or school friends that are pressing them and pushing them. And then you take parents who give some kind of half-hearted devotional once or twice a week, maybe take their kids to church once or twice a week, and they think that that's going to offset all that other stuff. And you stand back, and you know what we just have a formula for? I'll tell you. And it's no wonder that not just kids out there with parents who aren't in churches and don't have a Bible on their shelf, it's happening, folks, in families that are in churches we know and in this very church. And I believe it's going to happen more unless we get radical about this and we start to warn our kids and you pull the things out of their life that are not positive influences here. And you better warn them, folks, because God says the wrath of God comes upon people for this very thing. This is not a small matter. When Paul says fornicators and adulterers do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. We better take this seriously. It says that the marriage bed is undefiled. And folks, it says that God is going to judge fornicators and adulterers, the sexually immoral and adulterers. This is a serious matter. And I'll tell you what, in the book of Proverbs, there is absolutely a fearful text that comes out. The mouth of forbidden women, this is Proverbs 22.14, the mouth of forbidden women is a deep pit. Listen to this. He with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. He, the KJV says, he that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. The NAS says, cursed of the Lord. The cursed of the Lord will fall into it. NIV says, he who is under the Lord's wrath will fall into it. You know what you get from that text? Those with whom God is not pleased are falling into sexual sin. You know, that has a very interesting ring in my ears. It reminds me a whole lot of Romans chapter 1. You know what Romans 1 says? As men and women and children are allowed to fall more and more into deviant sexual sin, it is not just simply that the wrath of God is coming. 
It is that the wrath of God has been revealed. God gives people over to sexual sin. Parents. That's true. Most of us are first generation Christians. We didn't grow up with parents instilling in us a terror over sexual sin. We didn't have it. I didn't have it. I didn't see it as something terrible. I saw it as something desirable. I saw it as something to be sought after. And so did you. We need to instill this. Folks, when you hear Deuteronomy talk about when you rise up, when you lay down, when you're in the way, when you're at the dinner table, when you're in the chair, when you're in the car, when you're in the... Folks, don't just let time slip by. Your children are growing up. You know what happens many times, folks? We think we have tomorrow to warn them. And before we know it, our children have fallen into the very sins we meant to warn them tomorrow about. But they grow up so fast. You guys know as parents, they are, you don't know where the time's gone. They are getting bigger every day. In fact, it scares you sometimes. Oh no, where's the time going? I'll tell you parents, the time is slipping away. You warn those children. You warn them. God warns us again and again and again and again. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. You go to the Proverbs. You have Proverbs 2, 16 through 19 deals with it. 5, 1 through 21 deals with it. 6, 20 through 35 deals with it. 7, 1 through 27 deals with it. 9, 13 through 18. 22, 14. 23, 27 and 28. It's no small matter, folks. There is lots of Scripture devoted to this. God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Abstain from sexual immorality. Neither the sexually immoral nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, orgies, things like these. I warn you as I have warned you before. There it is. Warning, warning, warning that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you may be sure of this. Everyone who is sexually immoral and impure has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You get to the end of the Bible, it says, outside, outside of heaven, out there, you have the dogs and the sorcerers, the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Parents, you take children in that environment, in this environment, and you don't warn them, and then you got some professing Christian parents that will actually go beyond that and let their children date unsupervised time alone with the opposite sex? What do we expect? How are our children not going to walk in the ways we walked unless we do things radically different than the way our parents did them? God tells us to come out from among them. He has given us a different standard. Parents, warn your children. Warn them. Warn them. Warn them. Warn them. Warn them to flee from it. Warn them of the dangers. Come at them from every possible direction you can come at. Fathers, warn your sons. When they're standing in the lines at the checkout counters, they need to control their eyes. There are things there on those magazine covers they should not look at. Warn them that as they're driving in a certain part of town, there are certain billboards that they ought not to look at. Warn them that there are certain places on television that they ought not to go. And I'll tell you this, folks. If you can't control this in, the, in your families, in your lives, then you need... You know what? It says flee fornication. Flee it! There's no righteousness in seeing how close you can walk to the temptation without getting burned. It says run from it. The father in the Proverbs tells his son... Stay away from her door. Don't flirt around there at the edges and see how close you can come before you get lured in. Pull the cable TV. Toss the television if that's what it takes, folks. Pull them out of public schools where they have that exposure if that's what it takes. 
Hey, I'm not saying I have the perfect formula, but you've got to do what's radical in their lives to deliver them from the influences and to instill with it. Because, folks, you know what? If you're there trying to put this into your children to be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, and you've got your children, even though they're lost, they have a fear. They have a sensitivity. You have told them what God expects. You know, even in lost children, you can have those children that are sensitive, that are fearful to offend God. They're, they're fearful of sin. You can put a fear in them. You, you can bring them to where they're sensitive to the things of God. They're sensitive to what the Word says. And I realize we need God's help in this. We need God to do a work in the heart. We can lead them along, lead them along. And what you want to do, folks, you want, as you're training your children, you're warning them about sexual sin, the last thing you want is to then open the door and allow influences right back in their life that undo the very things you've just done. So not only do you have to put in, you have to be careful that the bad things aren't going in. Because when you warn and somebody else comes along and says, that's not anything to be afraid of. That's something to be enjoyed. That's something you need to dive into and relish and have fun with. You know what? They are dulling the very warnings you've given them. You want to so instruct your children and keep them from those outside influences that when you finally let those children go out your door, they're going to walk out there in the world and there are going to be things that they are seriously afraid of and that they will stay away from. And I realize the best training we do, we can't guarantee what exactly the path will be that our children walk. I understand that. But that does not for a moment take away from the responsibility God has given you and I when He says that you need to raise those children, bring them up in that training and in that warning of the Lord. You have that responsibility, parents, no matter how those children turn out. But I guarantee you this, where you are faithful, don't you for a second believe that it won't make a difference in their life. It will make a difference in their life. It will. You know what? The longer you... Pro- Even if your children eventually go down some of the paths that you and I have gone down, if you can spare them from it for ten years, it will help them. Because you know what? The longer a child dives into sin, the harder they become. The harder the more calloused, the deeper. Sin always is a spiral downward. And the longer you can keep them from getting sucked away in the torrents of that, the better it will be. Do, parents, do everything in your power to save your children. Everything. Everything. Well, I knew that I wasn't going to finish. And what I wanted to do is actually this afternoon... I'm going to deal with several of these other ones that are major, major, major issues. But I'm going to leave you with the last one here, which is really what I believe is the most important thing. Above all things, warn your children most fervently and most frequently about those paths that are most certain to lead to their utter destruction. And I'll tell you this. I can warn my children about sexual sin. I can warn my son about taking a bad wife or my daughters about taking a bad husband. I can warn them about lack of self-control. I can warn them about how they use their mouth. I can warn them about companionship and friends. I can warn them about... Wisdom. I can warn them about being a fool. I can warn them about what they ought to do with their money, which are all things that are, are dealt with extensively in the book of Proverbs. I can warn them. They're very important matters. I can warn them about them all. But you know what? If my children fail to heed those warnings to some regard and fall into it, or they, for a season in their life, fail to heed those warnings, you know what? It doesn't absolutely, unquestionably, mean their utter destruction. But there is one path that absolutely under every circumstance will lead to your child's destruction. And that is the path of rejecting Christ. If you want to know something that you need to most fervently and most frequently be warning your children about, it's about seeking even with regards to following the warnings, to heeding the warnings, 
to abstaining from sexual sin. Without Christ, you can do nothing. You need a power that comes from outside yourself to do these things. You need power from above. You need power from the Son of God. And I'll tell you this, and you need to tell your children this. You need to get this point home. Christ said this, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. The most deadly thing, the most fearful thing, the thing to warn your children about more than anything else is rejecting and refusing Jesus Christ. Because you know what? If they reject and refuse some of your counsel in other places, there is forgiveness for those things if ultimately they will find Christ. You and I grew up rejecting most, if not all, of our parents' counsel. And for many of us, it went well despite that. Now, I don't recommend it because you know what? When you despise warnings, you bear the marks. And every one of us in this room that have despised instruction and warning, we bear the marks of it. Even those of us that are saved. God in His grace and His mercy drew us out of that path. But we bear the wounds. Protect your children. Even if God should save them in the end. Protect them with these other warnings. But you know what? Even if they strive to heed all these warnings and they don't heed this one, they could be ever so moral and upright in this world, but they will lose their souls. If you believe not in the Son of God, children, you will die in your sins. Without Christ, fearful terms. Without Christ, Ephesians 2, without Christ, without God. Without Christ is the most fearful thing. Without Christ, that way we talked about this morning, children, you're not on that way. Without Christ, you don't have the bread for your soul. Without Christ, you don't have that to drink which leads to eternal life. Without Christ, children, you don't have that light of the world. Without Christ, you don't have a Savior for your soul. You don't have a shepherd to direct you. Without Christ, you don't have a father. You're orphans. You don't have a husband to protect and provide. You're like that widow. Children, take warning. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Parents, I don't know how much you've been involved in warning your children. Some of you might look and you might actually be shocked and realize, wow, I haven't done a whole lot of that. Or I've hoped that the Sunday school teacher or the pastor or somebody would. Parents, this is your responsibility. You have a responsibility to warn your children. Warning. Train them and warn them. This afternoon, it'll be loose type of meeting. We'll have some open discussion. But I want to talk about warning your children about money. Because, oh boy, the Bible has a lot to say about money. You know, the Bible has more to say about money as a whole. Now, the Proverbs, it says more about sexual sin. But the Bible as a whole says more about money than about sexual sin. In fact, Christ warns about money Somebody has said more than heaven, or he speaks about money more than heaven or hell put together, more than prayer, more than many of the major topics in the scripture. Money. You, you got, folks, children, you, you can't serve God and mammon and God and money. And that, that's a very important thing. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about companionship. Boy, in the Proverbs and in other places in the Bible, it warns about what friends you have and uh, warns about self control. And there may be another item or two if we have time this afternoon that we can kind of have some open discussion about and look at some various verses. But there are other places. And, and we're, definitely it's not limited to that. Folks, any place in the Bible where God gives you a warning, you should warn. 
Warn your children. Warn them. Warn them. Warn them. Warn them that sex outside of marriage, one, labels them as a fool. Two, it shows that they lack self-control. Three, it many times leads to diseases. Four, it leads to unwanted pregnancies. And with that, five, it leads to murder. Six, adultery tears families apart, destroys spouses, devastates children. Warn your children. Warn them of the consequences. Warn them of how they'll get burned. Make them afraid. Point them to Christ. Oh, parents, point them to Christ. Father, we pray that You would draw our children that they might find Christ. Give us wisdom. Give us dedication and obedience as parents to carry out what You've called us to do. Help us to be faithful in this area, Lord. We don't want our children to slip away. Lord, I'm afraid for our children. Please, Lord, arise. Do what only You can do, Lord. Slip those everlasting arms beneath our children. Grab them up into Your bosom, Lord. Bestow upon them Your everlasting love. Please have compassion upon them. In Christ's name we pray.